pandemics, global supply chain issues, cyberware attacks, inflation, the big quit. The list of disruptions goes on and on. We're living in a different world. It's more complex and moving faster than ever. This podcast is to help guide you through these turbulent times to ensure your organization can survive and thrive by becoming disruption-proof. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. It's going to be on Value Streams. Value Streams Part 1. Value Streams is actually this big honking uh, topic. And, uh, you know, specifically in terms of how familiar you are with it. So I'm going to go back and give my rudimentary understanding of its origins and how it's used, the term is used uh, mostly uh, in big companies in the world um, that have adopted some of these things. It's, if it's not hot, it's becoming hot and, uh, and for good reason. And I have a slightly different take on how we could be using the value stream concepts in innovation or new product development or also even really in in marketing so in really in all operational aspects of a business so i'll talk about that probably in part two uh part one i wanted to give you know sort of this background on what value streams are and, and where they came from so it Value stream is a term that comes from the lean world. And when I say the lean world, I don't mean lean startup. I mean lean as in lean manufacturing, the way uh, the name given to the way Toyota was building cars in Japan in the 50s, the Toyota production system. And I'm not sure what term they used or even if they had, you know, sort of the value stream term. Uh, but basically, it, it describes all the activities of an organization an organization does to create value for customers and other stakeholders, usually within a specific product. The definition that you'll see out there on Google, I think it's kind of bothersome. It's basically all the activities an, an organization does in response to customer requests. And I think that's such a it's such an odd take to it. You know, businesses don't really do what customers ask. Uh, if they did, their project service, their you know, project management companies, their services companies, not product companies. Uh, and so I, I find that take interesting. Though, if I looked back at the reasoning behind it, it may be that a lot of the lean manufacturing work was so deep inside the companies that the customers were internal customers. And, uh, and it was very execution focused. Like there wasn't a lot of doubt in what needed to be done. Um, and so in that way, a customer request comes in from some other part of an organization that is in the development of a product it's kind of known. So it's an execution order. And inside of these big companies, what you have are these huge PMO groups. So project management organizations. 
And they are given the responsibility to purely execute. They're really not supposed to ask questions unless they don't understand. Uh, and so really lean uh, value streams and really even Scrum, when we started getting into software development, their project management tools, their project, their ways to organize work for project management, not product management, project management. And so that stuff has evolved, especially on the Scrum side and the uh, Agile side, uh, and mostly because that software and at some point, I don't know if this was an epiphany that people had or whether this sort of just unconsciously developed, the changing point of software versus other parts of a product or other products is software is never done. A software product is never done. And so the way projects are developed is that a project has a defined date and a defined specification that needs to be built to and it's a very execution side and so on time and under budget was the way you measured those things on spec on time and under budget and what's crazy to me in the world that i grew up with which was software those things actually are are not the most valuable ways to create value for customers on time, under budget, on spec. We've successfully, inexpensively, produced a product that nobody wants. It's incredible how much of industry, corporate America, still responds to, still organizes their work around we delivered on spec, on time, under budget, and nobody wants it. You would think that there would be a massive effort to change that, but it's expensive. And, uh, and really the people that are leading that change are just sort of in the early days of re-educating management and you have to structure companies differently and all of these other things that I'm talking about uh, over the years have really been about how do we reimagine the way work is done in an era when the product is never done. So let's get back though to this original value stream, all the activities an organization does to create value for customers and other stakeholders, usually within a, a specific product. And so if you imagine uh, Toyota building cars in the 50s, you know, they have uh, these different models that they're producing and the models have different features and they can be painted different color, unlike Henry Ford's Model T. And uh, they have part suppliers and supply chains and uh, raw materials. It, it just is daunting the amount of stuff and therefore the amount of work that goes into assembling a car. And 
you know, as lean was adopted, what you found was that this was an attempt to make as efficient as possible the production of these cars. Uh, and so I've, I've said this before, you know, Henry Ford, you could have a Model T, any color as long as it's black. He optimized not only his assembly line, but the whole company to be execution focused on the production of one type of car with one color, black. And the moment, and he, he had to do this because of competitive pressure, but the moment that, uh, that there was a, there was competition that required a change in that one Model T, any option, a new clutch, paint color, uh, financing, all these things that are added by the competition, it made Henry Ford's assembly line a little bit less efficient. So the rise of lean really was about how do we get back to as much efficiency as possible when we have to do all of these different models. So if you have a factory that's dedicated to a Model T and suddenly you need, you know, whatever the next version of the car is, do you have to build a completely new factory? Or do you, can you make changes on the assembly line to be able to handle two different models? Real decision that, that, uh, that these people had to make. And so super interesting. And so the rise of lean, which doesn't mean cheap, it doesn't mean be small and all of these other, you know, poor definitions that have been added to it by the Silicon Valley software world, mostly venture capitalists. Uh, lean is about reducing waste. So it's the reducing the waste of, it could be supply chain delays, it could be the waste of raw materials. It could be the waste of ordering too much, uh, too many parts. Um, so it's this idea of having just in time inventory, you know, the sort of the ultimate goal of lean is that a customer order comes in and the product is built for that customer, you know, and so you're, you're starting before the, the, the customer orders in anticipation of customer orders. But what you don't want is a stack full of cars out on all these lots and, uh, and the customers aren't there for them, right? So that represents waste. It's the waste of maybe cars that aren't sold. It's waste of the space. You have to buy the space to store the cars. Um, so there's a bunch of transportation waste. So again, it's sort of this North Star is how do we eliminate as much waste as possible? And so you had all of these activities that go into the actual creation of the car. And you have all of that produce the value like you're actually making a component of the car that makes it work in a way that the customer is deriving value for that. And then you have these other activities which are potentially wasteful. They're not value add. Somebody's actually rolling a cart around across the factory floor in order to get to get parts to the right area of the assembly line. Uh, you know, I'm making this stuff up. I've never worked in a car factory either in the 50s or now. But I just want you to imagine that there's these non-value-add activities um, 
And even again, in the back office, it's, you know, somebody schlepping paper around. Uh, there's the inbox and the outbox. And maybe there's a bunch of paper that, there that's never gotten to. Maybe the most important stuff has never gotten to because there's, there's no organization there. And so there's potentially waste there. And so all of the non-value-add activities, you want to eliminate as many of those as possible. You can't eliminate all of them. Some of the non-value add are necessary in order to get the value added activities what they need to produce their their value. Uh, but again, the objective of le you know lean is to eliminate waste. It's never going to be eliminated, but that's the continuous improvement that they're doing in order to uh, in order to become more efficient. Now that the production of vehicles in this example, it becomes more complicated. Uh, so I, I want you to imagine, you know, sort of the, the Henry Ford as the starting point, and then you're adding all of these options and these different models, and there's all of these, all of this competition that is trying to appeal to customers. So they're adding all of these other type of things and you know, then you as a company need to respond to the competition. But now think about all of the other products where this is true, microwave ovens and refrigerators and all of these uh, household items that in the beginning were very simple, but they were so brand new and so, you know, relatively inexpensive that, that you could be competitive without having all of the bells and whistles. But nowadays you have to have all of the bells and whistles. And so this is also the why we have the rise of automation is because the the automation, the robots and, you know, potentially AI inside of these manufacturing plants means that um, that you could still have this efficiency um, or you have more efficiency than than, um, you know, the old school assembly lines. And and just as an aside here, this is what so many economists like the Larry Summers of the world uh, really don't get all of their models are really based upon factories producing widgets and they just don't understand the digitization digital world and what it means and i think all of their models are broken and they really should just you know retire um, but anyway that's that's an aside um if you imagine all of those appliances and, and the durable goods and now you start imagining software products um you're really sort of seeing this change from the height of the digital, the industrial age to the emergence of digital transformation in a digital world where the products are never done. And so efficiency means something different and value streams mean something different. And how you manage those or product manage those or project manage those differs quite a bit. And so, uh, if you're imagining what it is to, uh, so the value stream basically is mapping out every activity. Can you imagine this? Every activity that every worker does in a car factory and trying to find out which one of those can be improved. Can you reorganize that work to get improvement? Can you eliminate some of those tasks that are non-value add? Can software help you re reduce some of that? So it's really a daunting task. And there are lean and now agile professionals that will go and help companies map out every activity that 
everyone does in the creation of these products. And I must say that one of the interesting facets in all this to me is that in Japan, they had a very strong worker ethic. And so, you know, workers are worried that if you streamline and make things efficient, they're going to be out of a job. And uh, Toyota was very adamant in saying, no, we're going to find you other roles. And also, you're the ones that are responsible for finding ways to improve it. And so, you know, sort of the classic study story is that workers were empowered to stop the assembly line. So if they saw something that was wrong, you stop the assembly line, you get your cross-functional, your interdisciplinary team together, and you solve the problem uh, once and for all, and then you, you turn the manufacturing back on. And so that downtime was waste, but what you've prevented is other downtime or bigger downtime uh, down the road. The other thing that Japan did or Toyota did was focus on the value that was being created for customers. So you're not becoming lean for lean's sake. You're not becoming lean purely for efficiency's sake. You're not becoming lean for financial efficiency's sake. You're becoming lean because you're more financially efficient in producing value for customers and other stakeholders. Okay? So the criticism of when the West started adopting this is they sort of dropped the value for customers. So workers were, in fact, laid off. And workers did, in fact, fight this whole lean mechanism. And you can still see criticism from a variety of uh, places around this idea of just-in-time uh, production and how the U.S. economy suffered because of it when the supply chains collapsed. My own personal view is, is the problem wasn't just in time. The problem was in defining efficiency as being financial efficiency for financial efficiency's sake. And so the way Western corporations tend to do financial efficiency is still tell every department that they have to cut their budget, right? So they're cutting across all departments, all functions, cut your budget by 10%. And so what it, the, the point there is, is that some, some departments maybe should be cut 15% and others should be cut 5% and others should be cut none at all. But if you have to simply eliminate budget in order to become quote unquote financially more efficient, then you might be cutting into the muscle of the company muscle that's required to create value for customers, but management didn't slash doesn't care because they're just going to report the numbers to Wall Street. So, so I don't think that, I think, I don't think that the concepts are wrong. I think that the way the West is interpreted is wrong. And so therefore the critique of the Western is maybe right in that context, but not right in terms of the, 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 ideal or the the systems itself so if you said we're going to do just in time manufacturing uh, but we also but we're gonna but we're gaining we're going for a hundred percent uh 
uptime, no matter what the disruptions are that are rolling across the industry, then maybe whoever's in charge of supply chains justifies that they've got redundant supply chains, justifies that they've got near shore, near shore access to the parts that they need. You, you start to not cut all of those quote unquote overhead items because you've defined the efficiency as being for the continuous creation of value for customers, even when things go south. And so I think that that's an interesting way to sort of look at the difference between the, the way uh, these things can, can be implemented. So you're not eliminating value add activities those those are are sacrosanct those are the ones that you're keeping and those are the ones that you're protecting and so if they need more money to protect them with redundancy for example then you do that because we're living in a world where that stuff can go down at any time supply chains ransomware attacks you know other economic issues war um, there's all sorts of things that just ripple across our 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 economies and our businesses now so uh so I mentioned sort of the hard, the old product version of what that value stream is. And, and if you start imagining it in the software world, you've got, you know, your value add activities being what to build, how you're going to build it, how are you going to validate it? How are you going to release the, the product to customers in a digital world? Um, and then, you know, you have to start imagining those, those are... <laughs> Each one of those is like a top of a pyramid, right? You then have specific activities in order to define what's going to be built or specific activities on how something is being built. And you can start, you can see that, that, the, that from there, it, it, it pyramids down to uh, the parts of software engineering group that is assigning the tasks, hopefully in a team way and providing missions to those teams that when you roll it up, uh, you've got the build. And when you're trying to, and so all of those activities are mapped in a, in a value stream. And then you're doing the analysis of which ones are redundant, which can you organize this differently so that you're not duplicating work, right? So your eye turns to then, how do we make this more efficient while still producing the, the value for that product, that software product? And the same thing happens with, uh, you know, quality assurance and then releasing the product and um, in, a, in a product that's never done, you can, you can release the product essentially anytime that you want, but who are you releasing it to and how are you getting feedback? And so the whole idea that, again, I think is lost in most, in most agile and big organizations is at the end of the sprint is when you're releasing, quote unquote, releasing to stakeholders to customers because they're supposed to at that point be giving you input into how you're doing and then you go back and define your next sprint based upon what is it that new information means that we should change something and it's that agile nature that reiterative nature that includes the customers and other stakeholders that allows you to actually more quickly create value for customers everybody thinks that this is some overhead that's going to slow everything down but but that's because you're still stuck on a two-spec 
buy a date under budget mindset as opposed to when am I actually going to create something to that the customers need, want, use, and provides value to them. And if you move the marker to the latter, to what I just said, then your whole on-time, under-budget, on-spec goes away. It's not, it's not what you should be looking at. What did I, when did I deliver as quickly as possible value to the customer such the customer wants to pay for it, wants to use it, gets the value they were promised? That's the flag. That's when the product is quote unquote done. And then the next day you get back to work on the next, on the next version. So I might be overselling that a little bit. But again, a lot of this stuff is your North Star. What are you gearing towards? If you're gearing towards done, then that's what you'll do is you'll be done. If you're gearing towards creating value in the customer's eyes, then that's done. That's what the company will be optimized around. And guess what? If you succeed at that, all of the freaking investors get all of the share money they want, right? I mean, if you focus on shareholder value, that's what you get. Stock buybacks and... uh Boondoggles for investors. We want to get back to a world where we're competing based upon the ability to create value for customers. And so that's the North Star. The company will optimize doing that if that's what you set the North Star to be. You can't just have value statements on your website that says you're customer-centric. You actually have your North Star set to... Value creation for customers. Amazon says they're customer obsessed. I mean, it's like, I don't want Amazon stalking me like they do with their Ring product. That's bizarre. Value in the customer's eyes. Don't be obsessed over me. Create value. So I think I should stop there. And I think that gives you a great background on the term value stream and where it comes from. And what we're going to talk about next time is, well, what if you don't know what your value stream is? You're creating a new product, creating a new service. So you can only imagine your value stream. So I've developed a tool for how to hypothesize what your value stream is. How do you measure whether you're right or not? Um, and I guess I should say before we get into the, to the value stream discovery, which will be next, next episode is that in a mature modern organization, agile and lean should not stop with software development or product. It's everything inside the company. And I still know we're struggling with that, but there's, but I, you know, when Henry Ford built out his whole organization, it was as, is, as if it was an extension of the assembly line. And so we're, this is the same argument. We're now not doing the assembly line. Now we're doing this iterative product is never done. And so operationally, we could create value streams for all of the things that they do to create value for their internal and external customers Marketing, selling, customer support, professional services, 
admin, finance, human resources, compliance, legal, all of those things are in service to creating value. And they all can have their value streams mapped and they all could become more efficient in creating value for the customers. And so that work has to be done. And we could develop uh, value stream discovery loops for those things too. But a company is only as agile and is only, you know, as strong as its weakest link. And if we can, if we pretend that a company is lean or agile and we've only done their, their develop product development, I'm telling you the rest of the product is actually the speed of the, uh, uh, the rest of the company determines the speed of the company and determines the agility of the company, not just the, not, not just the product development side. So, uh, so I'll wrap up this time. Thanks for listening. Like, share, comment, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Proof Podcast. My mission is to help as many business leaders and startup founders as I can grapple with the increased complexity and uncertainty in the business world. It would mean a lot to me if you could please leave a review of the show and share it with friends and colleagues. Wishing you all the best and remember, be kind first.